This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Radio Show, which can be heard on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and Skid Row in Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut Babette. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and pay tribute to the decades-long legacy of Aboriginal fights for land rights and against the destructive mining projects that are fueling climate change. In particular, we acknowledge the Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodians and their ongoing opposition to coal mining on their lands in central Queensland, and to the Gomorrah traditional custodians continuing opposition to coal and gas on their land in New South Wales. It is vital at this late stage in history that we all learn to care for country. It will always be Aboriginal land, and now is our time to all stand up for and protect it. Welcome to the second part of our series on climate action in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Today we're at Otago University in Dunedin. I'd wanted to meet some Pacific leaders and the climate campaigners I had met in Dunedin told me, you must come to this conference at Otago University. It's on nuclear connections and then people are mostly worried about the Fukushima wastewater, which is about to be discharged into the Pacific Ocean. But you can meet plenty of people there who know about climate. So I did, and it was the most wonderful experience. I realized that the climate chaos that we are willfully creating now is also connected to the same willful pursuit, mega-charged trade across that area. Those trade lines, those trade routes, they're historically important, and they are still being guarded by the most enormous military power. Every two years, the Rim of the Pacific Conference, RIMPAC, is held around Hawaii. And one of the people at the conference was Joy Lehuanani Enemoto. And she said, There is no peace in a wartime economy. And, they have, and the US has always had a wartime economy. It is constantly creating the next war. And it is constantly uh, justifying the removal of indigenous lands and the devastation and the pollution. It is the largest uh, driver of climate change in the world. The US military is the largest driver of climate change in the world on top of having the largest budget within the United States economy. So how can we just, how can you imagine other economies when more than 50% of your budget is really going to the DOD, to the Department of Defense. 3CR listeners, I think you'll be delighted when you hear who I have on this show from 3CR. I couldn't believe my eyes in Dunedin to see Ronnie Kareni. He came up to me and gave me a big hug, a big smile. It was so lovely to see him. But in that context of Pacific leaders, I could see he was a real diplomat. He was highly respected. Many tributes were paid to him and the sacrifices his family have made for him to go on being a voice for West Papua, which is still occupied by Indonesia. He sent a joyful greeting to 3CR and the Voices of West Papua show, which you can hear any Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. One of the other organizers there said to us, you are among chiefs. These people are chiefs. And indeed, they look like that to me. Some of the people, just to give you a little word picture, they look like they'd stepped out of a Gauguin painting. They look like royalty with flowers in their hair, beautiful clothes, and the most diplomatic and quiet way in, of talking. Not just quiet, but impressive. You really paid attention to a lot of these people. I could see they were elders, but as Mino Kavali said, these people are 
been elected, some of them, they are chiefs. They all carry other people. We all carry other people with us. Our families, our communities, our nations. And these people have been recognised by their own communities because some of them are chiefs. They don't just speak as individuals. They speak representing their people, our people. So let's give them another hand. So our guests tonight are Hina Mawera Cross from Tahiti, Mary Twilo from Fiji, Ronnie Atabuai Kareni from West Papua, and Joy Lehuanani Enemoto from Fiji. The music is from Small Islands Big Sound, and it's called Kava Ai Makoe. Each day started with a ritual welcome, a haka, and many tributes were paid to elders, the giants of protest, and I felt really this is the way to do it, to really honour each other, to honour people who've gone before and to never forget the history. Don't say let's keep moving on. Honour the history and, and the way forward. Find the way forward. So here we are at um, Otago University in Dunedin. With me is Hinamwera Cross from Tahiti. She was invited to speak at the United Nations and she was told that the high rate of cancer was in Tahiti was not caused by nuclear tests and waste but by the great amount of fish eaten by Polynesians. I was very shocked by what she said, but I think this is happening a lot in the world where the victims are made to be blamed. So, Hina, please tell us your story. Hello, uh, thank you for the invitation. So, uh, I'm born in Tahiti. I'm uh, 34 years old uh, today, and uh, I got to leukemia when I was 24 years old. And uh, at this time, I didn't realize why I was sick. It's few years uh, after when um, the president of the uh, independent political party of Tahiti, he uh, made a, a complaint for crimes against humanity because of the nuclear bomb, the 193 nuclear bomb uh, perpetrated by the French state. So I was very shocked when he did that I, I thought uh, he was silly because um, I wasn't aware about uh, our nuclear history. And so I became curious and I realized all the consequences on my people. And I discovered a, a list of uh, uh, radio-induced uh, disease. And on this list, there were my uh, the leukemia that I have. And also they were uh, uh, thyroid cancer and breast cancer. And in fact, in my family, my grandmother, my mother, my auntie and my sister got uh, the thyroid cancer. I was also uh, uh, checked every year by a, a doctor, but I was okay. So I thought, uh, thanks God, uh, he didn't touch me. But in, at 24 years old, uh, I got leukemia, so I got the worst. Um, my auntie, it was uh, worse also because he, she had uh, two cancer, uh, the thyroid and also the breast. So in 2018, after what uh, President Oscar Temaru did, I realized that, oh my God, my, my, all my family are sick because of nuclear bomb. And then I continued my research and became uh, a really, really... Uh, um, invest uh, activist anti-nuclear. I decided to to uh, um, do my fight uh, in Tahiti, but also to go uh, to international community because if I wasn't aware about that, uh, despite the fact that I was living in Tahiti, uh, I thought that uh, it's the same for. Uh, the international community, it's why it's important to fight against uh, the French state for recognition, justice and truth. But it is important also to uh, speak to an international community and to denounce 
what French state uh, don't do is that recognition, say the truth and the justice. Yeah, and I imagine that it's almost impossible for you to be thinking about climate change when you've got such an immediate problem, especially all around the Pacific. It's pretty hard to test where all the radiation poisoning is happening. Um, but I think it's very similar to climate change because it's invisible in the atmosphere. This is invisible in the sea and in your land. But the big thing is to clean it up. We have to clean up the fossil fuel um, that's going into the emissions and the French government has to clean up. What are they doing to clean up the land and the ocean and protecting you in the future? Because this will go on, that radiation doesn't go away in one generation. They, they just say that there's no more radiation, that they are uh, uh, checking uh, every time and there's no more. But what is uh, funny and make me be angry uh, is that uh, the president of the French state, Emmanuel Macron, uh, he's saying uh, to the world and also last time to the COP27, like, uh, he was very, very um, into uh, the climate change uh, in French Polynesia. But first, uh, come to clean our island. He he appears and he presents himself as uh, the one who protects. Thanks God to France. French Polynesia is okay. Is protect from uh, like predator like China. Uh, he is into. He's very into. Uh, the climate change, the, the ecological problems, but um, this is a big lie. For me, the priority, yes, is to, to clean the nuclear waste and to take care of my people because of the all the disease. And uh, I, I'm more anxious about our children, our next generation. For me, like, uh, we don't have the hospital that we deserve. Uh, there's so much babies that are sick, so much babies with uh, handicap or malf uh, malformation, uh, disease, and uh, we need a hospital that be able to, to check uh, all the pregnant women and be able to uh, to help all these children. To We, we need a, a, a health care uh, as... Uh, developed as what happened in our country, 193 uh, uh, nuclear bombs. I don't like to say uh, test. French, they like to say, to use that, uh, nuclear test. But I think for me, th this word test is just minimizing. Mm. Uh, a, a nuclear test is a, a nuclear bomb for experimentation. So it's, uh, for me, we had 193 nuclear bombs. And when I did my research, um, and uh, I was shocked because one of the the nuclear bomb was uh, uh, 160 more powerful than Hiroshima, and uh, nobody knows. This is on land or under the sea. How how, one was, uh, how can they say they don't have anything to clean up? This one, were, the, the more powerful, was named uh, Canopus. Uh, it was uh, an atmospheric one. And the other, it was, uh, they, they, they say that, uh, oh, we care about people, so we stop in the atmosphere. We will go down, but the down is our lagoon. The lagoon is, is where we eat everything. We, in Tahiti, we eat fish every day. Like we can eat uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So for friends, they say that they they did it um, underground, and it was for for us to think about our health. But underground for us is in uh, like our uh, refrigerator. You see, <laughs> I don't know how to call it, yeah. but it's where we find our food. They did it in our lagoon. Well, I'm, I want to ask you all about independence from France and all of that. That's a very big question. But I had a quote here from the people who went to stop, you know, the Muraroa <clears throat> experiments, tests, bombs, as you say. And one of them, it was a Maori MP, parliamentarian from New Zealand. He said, we represent small people from small countries who feel powerless 
in the face of events beyond the comprehension of our own government. And I wonder, does the fact of having been colonised in um, New Caledonia and Tahiti, it's still part of the French state, um, other parts are kind of being colonised by America, <coughs> Britain. Is that experience of being colonised making people feel powerless? Is that something that you you feel, that you, you feel subdued, you know, because of this experience of colonialism? Is that a big thing for you? It, it became. Uh, when I started to be an activist, an anti-nuclear activist, I read a lot, of, a lot, I made a lot of research, and during the research, I, I discovered the colonialism. I wasn't aware about that because I grew up uh, with a French education. We, we never uh, learned about the nuclear, the, the nuclear test when I was at school, and I, I learned like... Uh, Thanks to France, we have roads, we have TV, I can go to school. Without France, I will never have that. Like, France is a chance for us. And when I uh, made some research about nuclear, I realized that we can't uh, separate our nuclear history that our, uh, to the colonialism. And I became uh, really, really in independent. Uh, now I'm a, a defender of the Maori rights because uh, they lied to us too much and they really uh, used us as a guinea pig, I say. And uh, I really uh, feel that now I, I'm aware of what they did and they continue to uh, to uh, minimize the thing, they continue to, to lie to us and uh, the problem, it's why I, I, I'm really trying to aware all the people in Tahiti um, to open the, the mind of the people, to decolonize the mind, because we, uh, as a colony, we still like feel that we're not clever as a white. Mm -hmm. like, and, I, and yesterday, uh, when I, in my speech, I, I talked about... Um, the main complex of inferiority, you see, because we were colonized, like a white will say something and I will feel think that it's right. Mm. And uh, it's what uh, the French representative in Tahiti, the high commissioner, commissioner said in 2021, he said, uh, uh, there's no more sick people in French Polynesia than in France. And for a few seconds, I really thought it was true, so uh, I was asking myself, why are you fighting? Why are you denounce that uh, all your family is sick? He just said that it's not because of uh, the nuclear bomb, uh, or it's because you you eat too much fish. And and I believed him for a few seconds, and after that, I I smashed myself, and I was like, Hina, wake up! He is lying, and I was so angry. How can he? lied uh, on uh, our uh, Tahitian TV and many people that is not aware that he didn't make research will uh, believe him and will like say to other people no it's not because of this it's because you eat too much or you eat too much fish or thing like that and uh, this complex of the colonized people has to stop in Tahiti. And for me, in the Pacific, I think we are one of the nations that are very late about that. Mm. We, we, we really feel inferior mm. in front of white people. Uh, French uh, colonialism had really worked on Tahiti. If you go to Tahiti, you will see that we are very, very nice people, but nice and sometimes stupid it's like we we are uh, we we give uh, our how you say confiance yes. we trust yeah. yeah like if you 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 ask me hina can i have a one thousand dollar i just have to pay something i go to the bank and i come back i will give you mm -hmm. because i will not see what the bad in you mm -hmm. i trust you the, the tahitian trust the people mm -hmm. and uh, it's i think it's why they they choose us and because we are 
very, very peaceful. We're, we're not a warrior. Or maybe it's because of uh, the the war and uh, all the Tahitian that has been uh, that, that died. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a trauma. But we are very, very peaceful, and they use our kindness. When I watch like video uh, of the sixties. And I saw Tahitian people that give gifts to General de Gaulle that thanks uh, the French people for the bomb. Thank you. We had uh, in the six, from the, six, uh, the, the 70s to the 90s, we had paint of the nuclear bomb in every house in Tahiti. Like it was uh, uh, the greatness of France. They, they, we have the, the honor of ha having the, the, the experimentation center on our island. Such a honor, you see? They, they, what they put in our minds. And now we are like, we have to, to thank them. And these things are so big, the long life of nuclear radiation. It's just beyond all of us, isn't it, to imagine how long this is going to affect the world and climate change is the same thing it's it's so huge it's affecting every ecosystem it could be the end of you know human life and many species life so these are huge things and i appreciate that your culture is so nice and kind and it's terrible to have been used like that so many people around the world have been used just let's finish with the question of the media you um you know, obviously have a bigger platform now. You you have been in these international conferences. Um, how do you think the media treat you? And, or just say how you would like them to treat you. What do they do wrong? Because we know the corporate media is trying to keep the narrative very controlled. But what would you like them to do to show you respect? Um, it would be more for our local media in French Polynesia that I want to criticize. Uh, not the international, but uh, in French Polynesia, I regret that they uh, they cut some some stuff that I said, or they minim they are minimizing, mm -hmm. or uh, I they they will not uh, yeah let me say what I want to say because it's too much against the French state, mm -hmm. and it's what I regret. And but also I think they're also afraid because of uh, the French power. You know, there are many people that went to jail. There, there's still a trauma. Mm. Uh, we have uh, one journalist that has disappeared in the 90s because he was uh, he had proof to denounce something big about corruption. So I, I really think that the media in French Polynesia aren't free to speak. It's why I use a lot uh, the social media. Yeah. So I am able to... To, uh, to say anything I want uh, and uh, nothing that I have cut. So uh, the social, I'm not according to social media every time because there's so much fake news, but it is uh, a good way for me to, uh, to share my fight, my struggle. Just to finish, we have one French listener in Australia called Babette. Would you say in French a little message to her? Coucou Babette, j'espère que tu as apprécié cette interview. She's going to love it. Thank you very much. So we've been speaking to Hina, who is from Tahiti, and I hope you also, listeners, even though the climate fight is the main subject of this program, understand that the nuclear waste that is very much greater in the Pacific than I had guessed before I came to this conference is parallel to the climate waste and um, pollution that we are all worried about. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. Merdeka! Some countries are still oppressed by colonial empires. And I'm very happy to have Ronnie Kareni here from West Papua. 3CR listeners will know him from the Voices of West Papua show. And he has been really 
welcomed here by all the people from different Pacific nations. I can see they trust him and he's so welcome and they put up the West Papuan flag and he's been really um, making a huge contribution here. So Ronnie, just tell us how you are and how things are going and uh, what have you made of this conference? You know, a little bit. Well, firstly, Vivian, it's great um, to meet you here in person in Dunedin, and um, uh, it's an honor as well, uh, particularly to come in here and then be amongst the presence of the pioneers um, in the solidarity movement um, for a free nuclear Pacific and also the independent Pacific that has been fought hard in the 70s into 80s, and to see the new wave of the intergenerational um, leadership of activists, the grassroots activists, the Pacific Collective through the role of CSOs um, in amongst this and talking on the same issues. This is 40 years ago and in the case of West Papua, um, this has been an issue. Um, Auntie Hilda, um, who did a keynote um, speaking of the issues and highlighted um, her engagement on not only just nuclear, but a vision of an independent Pacific, free from neo-colonial imperialism, free from um, the colonization, uh, which comes in the form of violence. And a lot has been shared in this conference. But at the same time, the community resilience that comes with it as well to see that um, that is still thriving and so for me to be here, um, what I make of it is that to, it's a humbling um, experience to, to come and hear some of the old um, folks as well. Um, Sina Brown, who based in Nam, Melbourne, for a very long time and connected with the likes of um, Robbie Thorpe um, and as well as many of our uh, First Nation um, activists. And that's where I met and to be to met here at that first um, response, that emotional um, um, response was so overwhelming in a way that it's good that we're here. So it really kind of like re-energized that spirit of resilience in us and resistance and to really build more conversation around what we can do um, and to move forward from this conference. Yes, you showed us a map and there was Australia, there was New Zealand and there was Papua New Guinea and then a blank. And West Papua was just not on that map. Tell us about that. And because to me, it was symbolic of the media. They don't even have West Papua on their radar, apart from your show on 3CR, as far as I can see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In terms of the, the media representation and the issue within the region, West Papua often left out um, in the narrative and, yeah, in the media landscape. But from that particular image that I show in the discussion, um, is from the 2050 strategic framework paper from the Pacific Island Forum leaders. Um, and this was a working document for a number of years until June of 2022. It was finalized, printed, and it was presented um, at the Pacific Island Leaders Forum and taken to the US um, at the UN General Assembly, a collective of Pacific leaders presented uh, the blueprint for the next 30 years. But when you open on to the front page of this blueprint, there are several islands missing. Um, and that is Hawaii, uh, Marianas, um, and then West Papua. As if Papua New Guinea is Pacific and West Papua is not, like magically not. And that's the question. And you know, it is a form of coloniality um, when we started erasing that. And, that's institutional discrimination um, as well, right there. And so um, this is something that like, we fought, like the Pacific have fought for the decolonization and sovereignty of the Pacific people and as post-colonial states right now. And to exercising that, like, this is something that really is a shame that um, to see a strategic framework paper that missing out on the islands as if that doesn't exist at all. It's a stark reality, though, isn't it, that West Papua is 
out of our out of sight, out of mind in Australia, maybe in Europe even, because it's so hard to get your story above the radar. People close off about it. There's so much shame about it, but there's also so much profit being extracted from there. And I think climate change has brought a lot of places onto the map for for people like me. Um, the Pacific, I didn't hear too much about the Pacific in the 20th century, but since we have visits like Anote Tong from Kiribati and, and Tommy Remengesa from Palau, you know, they, they're diplomats, they're talking to our government, they're government to government, you know, urging us to do the right thing, to stop exporting climate change. It's, it's worse than nuclear in a way because it's the end of the earth if it goes on the way it's going. So I think it's surprising to me that such small nations are producing such leaders that are coming up into public view, getting a platform, and I, I fully believe that this is the way of the future. This will happen, including First Nations people from very remote places. They're getting a platform because of climate change and everyone's frightened of that and really doesn't know what to do. Do you feel that is the trend or is it still just too hard to get your voice? Oh, well, that's the trend, particularly like looking at it from the Pacific perspective around um, yeah, the advocacy and engagement at the um, government level or intergovernmental spaces, um, but at the same time, the, the non-governmental um, organizations um, do play a big role within the Pacific to really provide the data on the ground and um, to demonstrate that this issue is our issue. So if anything that concerns the Pacific, it's not just because of the vast ocean, uh, it's not just because of the, the sea of islands, so it's not just because it's small island states, which is from a perspective of uh, you know, looking at it on a geographical mapping, where, oh, it's tiny, it's small. But when you look at it from an indigenous um, perspective, the ocean is life, it's living, it's what the people survive, um, depends, their life connect to that. And so it doesn't matter whether it's that vast, but the navigation that also comes with it, that we, we connect to that. And so that's for us, it's, we want to protect that. Yet we look at the issue of like the, the Fukushima discharge that is planned for next year, and um, the AUKUS using the sea route as a highway for the nuclear submarine that is, you know, trying to perpetrate, and then the geopolitical narrative that is built around the U.S. and China. Whereas for us in the Pacific, what matters to us is the the issue that that kinship and connection to the land and the ocean, and that is something that, from this um, conversation, um, hearing various speakers speaking about, is that we maintain that solidarity and speaking in one voice. And that's us already embedded in a lot of our pioneers, leaders that have advocated for um, the issues in the region. Just to finish, Ronnie, for climate action people in Australia, what's your message you know, from your own country, but also from the region? What what is the most important? We had the climate conference in Egypt and they achieved a loss and damage, but it seems to me the loss and damage that's piling up in the world is going to cost so much, no one's ever going to be able to fund all of that if we don't cut it all back, you know, take proactive action to stop the emissions. What's your perspective on that? Well, but specifically, there have been calling for Australian government to transition out of the fossil fuel companies. And that has been the stance, the position from day one when um, they, taking the issue of climate change to intergovernmental forum at the UNFCCC. Yet we've seen successive governments have not really uh, taken on that and listened to the Pacific people, yet they're stepping up to the Pacific to put in more aid and to support in the defense. We just saw uh, Australia announcing uh, or sending in uh, more military equipment and supply to support the local police. But that's not what the Pacific have been calling for. And the other thing is that the Australian government is um, increasing its defense cooperation. And this is where it gives the leeway for um, transnational uh, 
uh, companies, like the weapons companies, to continue to really produce. The, we, talk, we hear a lot here in the conference about the uranium, um, which, you know, taken out from um, Arabana country, um, that Roxby mining, and then taken to all these big uh, uh, power plants, and yeah. Yet, this, the Australian government is not transitioning from that, and so, here we are again keep you know maintaining that um, key messaging of transitioning into renewable energy um, sadly if we look at it as well from the case of indonesia and australia early this year since the new government came into power um, the bi first bilateral visit to indonesia Antonio albanese strengthened not only the defense but also the fossil fuel energy and this is said uh, they hydroelectric um um, energy which they are going to be based at in Mambramu River in West Papua, and also increasing defense training, which is the security forces. And in August, the Indonesia and US drill training, basically it's like RIMPEC what in, in Hawaii, they are in, they're starting in Indonesia. So that, all started, that was the first one in a long time. Um, after the Timor cases when there was um, the training stops, but they started in August this year. And on top of that, the U.S. government have announced to donate 10 million U.S. dollars, specifically over the next five years, to West Papua, but support the Indonesian government uh, development program. So we can see this, how um, the issue of climate, environmental, um, deterioration of the land. Um, it's all come in the name of development where they just really text savvy, they use words that really speaks to what is in the need of the community, whereas it's more enhancing transnational companies um, to keep offensive, um, you know. Extraction. Uh, so, so that development fund um, from US to, to the Indonesian government in West Papua, like, what do you think it will be used for? It will be used for investment. It will be used to, for increasing security presence and operations in, in protecting foreign investments in West Papua. That's exactly what it's going to be used for. It's too discouraging. Well, we're just listening to one of the bravest people, <laughs> and I'm sure he's an absolute diplomat. And I know, you know, listeners, I remember the East Timor struggle, and I never thought Timor would be free, but it's free. And one of their now leaders, diplomat, is used to be a 3CR presenter on their program. So I'm so pleased to have met Ronnie at the, this conference. Ronnie, just say a little cheerio to everyone at 3CR. Oh, yes. Wanted to give a shout-out back to 3CR particularly. Well, firstly, Vivian, it's great to connect with you again, um, to see you here, and also to all our wonderful listeners and the admin people at, at, at 3CR. And the voice of West Papua, as always, um, it's every Tuesday. But, um, yeah. Tricia Community Radio itself plays an important and critical um, role in um, advocating and providing space for um, voices that are, you won't hear in the mainstream media, uh, like the voice of West Papua, and many other issues that are uh, marginalized, and you know, including the First Nation issue. So I'm so proud that Tricia Community has been that uh, cornerstone and a space for um, you know, people like us, West Papuans, to be able to have our voice. And great to be also speaking with you as well, um, Vivian. Isn't it strange? I happen to be in Dunedin. Okay, thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Joy Lehuanani and Moto is a mixed Kanakamauli scholar, community organizer, and visual artist. She currently lives in Honolulu, Oahu, 
and is an executive director of Hawaii Peace and Justice, which focuses on demilitarizing and deoccupying Hawaii and the Pacific. Joey talks about RIMPAC. It's a military naval exercise every two years in Hawaii. 25,000 personnel and 26 countries are involved. The Pacific Peace Network says, quote, RIMPAC dramatically contributes to the destruction of the ecology of the Pacific and aggravates the climate crisis in the whole Pacific region. So here's Joy Lehuanani Enemoto from Hawaii. Now, RIMPAC basically promotes global insecurity. And why do I say that? They are constantly, there's this constant language of military readiness. And it's really just posturing by the US and Australia and other countries to assert their presence against China in the region. Or if it's not China, then it's Japan. If it's not Japan, then it's Korea. There's always an assertion of posturing. And this is really to control trade, right? So it is also to justify an ever-increasing military industrial complex. Um, RIMPAC is famous for training regimes known for their genocidal tactics and the oppression of indigenous communities. Most importantly, one of those communities is, I mean, one of those militaries is the Indonesian military. And they come to train to actually commit genocide in, uh, in West Papua. Uh, and that's just among many. Israel also comes here and trains. Uh, it doesn't even have the same infrastructure, but it comes and trains and then goes back to Palestine to reassert itself there. So there's a number of regimes here that come to Hawaii specifically to train. There's even an, an exercise known as the um, military operations in urban terrain. So they come all the way to Hawaii to set to to be on the marine base in Kaneohe in a in an urban terrain description that that somehow magically mimics the Middle East, and it and Marines come through RIMPAC to train. And Indonesia's particular and Korea's particularly involved in this, but all a lot of different countries are involved in this to plan on how not only to take on terrorists in other countries. This is that's the argument. It is also now being used as a way to train the to train uh, military to take on protest social protesters, right? To take on uprisings, to take on demands for social justice and calls for peace. The, that's this, this training is now being used to support local police. It's not about national security. It has never been about national security. It has always been about fuel and extraction in Hawaii. Ever since the U.S. overthrew the Hawaiian Islands in 1893, their goal was to get Pearl Harbor for a coaling station, right? The vast majority of military war, right, military fights in the Pacific are still heavily dependent on the Navy. It's dependent on water. Why? Because it's the largest, it's like the largest body of water on Earth, right? They can't make it to the Philippines from the U.S. unless you stop someplace for, for gas, right? You need some place for fuel. This is what this is about. To fight wars in Asia, to, to assert your presence in the Pacific, you must control the energy and fuel and commerce lanes. It is nothing more than to protect U.S. business interests and at this point, and also Australian and other allies of the United States, their capitalist business interests. That's what this is about. It is not about national security. And I say that because when our, when the Navy's Red Hill storage bulk facility leaked fuel, jet fuel into the water in Hawaii and poisoned 93,000 people, many of whom were military families, Navy families, Army families, they let those people get sick, provided little to no care. And it was activists in Hawaii that actually provided more water to the people that were, that were harmed by the poisoned water than the military, than the Navy itself. They valued fuel over clean water. That facility sits literally within like a hundred feet over our largest aquifer, right? And then uh, it devastates the environment, absolutely devastates the environment. There's live fire training that takes place into conservation zones. 
There's amphibious assaults that crush the reefs and destroy nesting grounds, turtle nesting grounds. There's the SYNC-X exercises, which literally takes decommissioned warships and bombs them with new technology, with their latest missiles. And that goes into the ocean and all of that metal and all of that fuel and all of that falls to the bottom of the ocean, devastating. You will suddenly see whale, bleach, it, whale beachings. You see incredible devastation. And the Navy has the audacity. Uh, if it was not for a lawsuit by Earth Justice back in the, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, the Navy wanted to take millions and millions of marine life in the just, with justification because of, because of military activities from San Diego to Hawaii, okay? And it also includes uh, Guahan in this. It includes, include, it includes all different parts of the Pacific in this. And they think that, and they only want to provide a small area for protection for whales as if whales stay in one place, right? There is no peace in a wartime economy. And they have, and the U.S. has always had a wartime economy. It is constantly creating the next war. And it is constantly uh, justifying the removal of indigenous lands and the devastation and the pollution. It is the largest driver of climate change in the world. The U.S. military is the largest driver of climate change in the world on top of having the largest, how can you imagine other economies when more than 50% of your budget is really going to the DOD, to the Department of Defense? They are allowed to threaten, right? They are able to take up to 10 million marine mammal takes. That's dolphins, that's, that's whales. They're allowed to kill them through sonar, like incidentally, through... Anything that's having to do with uh, military activities during this time, they're allowed up to 10 million takes, threatening the, threatening the existence of 26 marine species. It's very hard to do direct actions against the military in Hawaii. It's very hard, right? Because everything's behind fences and on bases and things. So people reach out in all kinds of ways. And people have been protesting since it began. Since, you know, they were protesting during Ko'olawe. They've been protesting. In 2020 was the closest we ever came to it just not. The one time that it wasn't on, sea, on land, it was only at sea, turtles came back to nest. But artists have taken really creative, activists have taken really creative ways of approaching. They've done banner drops. Um, this year, uh, Young Sawara, we did a virtual exhibition. People make zines. There's also uh, kayaks, there's kayak actions. There's any number of creative ways that activists approach, right? We do banner drops in the middle of the city. There are convoys, there are marches. But all of it really, what I really want to ask people to do though, is in 2024, RIMPAC is coming back to Hawaii and so is FESPAC. And when FESPAC comes back, when FESPAC is here, I want us all to come together as specific peoples, to continue this legacy of NFIP, to build out from it, to create something new that demands that we have a regional presence again and build regional power. This is the thing that we must do. It cannot just be the artists having, right? It can't just be a few islands here and there. As long as the US is occupying Hawaii, it poses a threat to the rest of the Pacific. And we need all regionally and, and within the islands and within Hawaii, especially to fight the U.S. presence in the Pacific. And it seems insurmountable, but it can be done. It has been done. And so I, would, I just want to throw out that, that invitation to come to Hawaii in 2024, to have these conversations, to be able to think about how we're regionally going to build power. Um, mahalo nui. So Mere Tuilau is an anti-nuclear advocate from Fiji. She will be sharing a beautiful poem with us. Um, so I will give the floor to you, Mere. Kiara, Maui, Lokwe, 
and Bulavinaka. Our Pacific Bure, such as this, remains a stronghold in telling and retelling our stories, especially on nuclear aggression. Today, we Pacifica of Oceania continue to remember the stories and the sacrifices of our island states and their people. We remember these stories through creative expressions, poetry, art, chants, creative writings, talanoa, and dance. Dance, that's what I did this morning. I put on the most beautiful say or teki-teki I found and danced. I danced to acknowledge the to acknowledge the weight of today and tomorrow and the continuous journey that we'll take from here. I dance to celebrate us. Our existence is our resistance. Also acknowledging we not only dance to celebrate, we dance to distract, we dance to hold our tongue, we dance to provide solidarity, we dance to acknowledge our Pacific struggles. We dance to say sorry that it had to be us being mocked, being tortured, being in this situation that we aren't supposed to be in. Um, and also, I hope for those looking in, I hope you don't have to dance a day in your life to free yourself from mental distress, slavery, racism, or for your freedom. At, this, uh, at a meeting or uh, conference that I attended, I was asked not to address the elephant in the room. And so that to me was something I had to really master my emotion. The elephant in the room, diplomacy, diplomacy? Swallowing my mixed emotion, I stood up and said, excuse me, I need some air. With thoughts rushing, anger rising, soul hurting, face blushing, heartbeat accelerating, I burst into tears on my way through the hallways and into the bathroom to hide myself in the name of diplomacy. What is relationship without principles, without its values? What are humans without feelings? What are hurt without its wound? What are lessons without learning? What are we without each other? How can we look at Britain, France, and the US in the eye and have historical amnesia? Or how can the devil's empire look at us in the eye and say, for the good of mankind? Thoughts of my ancestor crying, mother screaming in the delivery room, sister dying, fathers blind, brothers displaced, my family in crisis, my emotion drowning. Diplomacy. Not him, not her, not them, but us. Us who carries the weight, the burden of proof, to prove the suffering, the biggest aggressions of our lives. Diplomacy. Where our tears and our sacrifices are being politicized, where love is being tested, where hearing is being tested, where humanity is being tested diplomacy. Hear us in our rawest self. Hear us to hear our ancestors cry freely. Hear us to hear the future generation live freely. We look back to look forward. We look back to pause. We look back to set sail. The ocean creates life, the ocean hubs life, and the ocean is life. Protect our white tree. Where I, I mentioned we look back to look forward, I, uh, this is a phrase where we normally use 
in the Pacific where we, we always go back to history. We go, always go back to our homeland to, to, to remind, to, to pause, to think, to, to also convene so that we could set sail and continue the work that we are all here together for. So yes, Vinaka. Mary, just a little bit more. We've just had the climate conference in Egypt and a lot of people said it was a bit of an achievement to get at least a fund for loss and damage. Whether there's any money going to really flow into it, I don't think we should hold our breath. But you write poems and you think a lot about the past and the future and how, how these things move. We have to be so patient and yet it's so urgent. So what are your thoughts about that for Pacific vulnerable nations, not just Pacific, um, needing that loss and damage? And what do you have to say? Um, so we have the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and the Pacific is specifically pushing for Article 6 and 7 on uh, victims' assistance, environmental remediation and international cooperation and assistance. So um, to answer the, the, the question on um, climate and nuclear, ways I could really put this together is loss and damage is both climate crisis and also a nuclear crisis and um, this is something that we are also pushing in is the uh, victims assistance back at home we do not have um, the medical uh, medical needs of uh, this uh, radioactive um, or cancer uh, diagnosis and all these things so we had to travel far and wide and also given like uh, the difference in um, currency wise each and every one of our people have to really uh, you know get uh, get whatever they have together in order to fund their medical care and this is not a one-off medical care instant day in and day out of their life and it costs so much and then we have the uh, environment remediation where Betty shared about the Runa Dome and you know and the waste is um, the waste is um, is leaky and that's a biggest concern for us uh, in the Pacific given that we draw so much from the ocean and also the land and this uh, really affects our food chain and, uh, and our health uh, as well um, and also we have international cooperation and assistance where we really hope to get the um, the states um, that the member states and also welcoming other uh, states who have not signed and ratified to really come in together to to shape and protect our future. Yesterday we heard from a, a woman in Hawaii who said that the American military do huge exercises um, and all the nations join in. It's called RIMPAC, I think. And I'd never really heard about this or the extent of it. And that has a lot of um, radioactive effects and also just social effects. They said, that lady said that it was... It's, it's always about resources. You know, Hawaii used to be a coal-loading port so they could extend over it as far as the Philippines. Now it's for oil depot. Um, but it's just keeping the Pacific open for trade. And that's exploitative and extractive. Because those two countries, especially France and US, are now highly conscious of climate change in their own countries and lowering emissions, do you think, do you see any change or do you hear about any change? in protecting the Pacific from those effects. New Caledonia is a Department of France. Are they extending the same climate protection to those overseas dominions that they have? Do you, do you hear anything about that? I, um, I, I wouldn't agree to, to that, I, I would say, because um, it, protection for us is really, again, lowering admission and also um, cleaning up the, the, the waste. You have been listening to the Climate Action Radio Show from Otago University in Dunedin, Aotearoa, New Zealand. With thanks to the climate campaigners who invited me to meet Pacific leaders at the Nuclear Connections Conference. To Carly Birch and Mino Cleverly who organized it. Our guests were Hinamawera Cross from Tahiti, Mary Twillo from Fiji, Ronnie Atabuai Kareni from West Papua, and Joy Lehuanani Enemoto from Hawaii.
The music was from small island, big sound. Ways to show solidarity to all these people at th uh, you can find at 3CR Climate Action. My name is Vivian Langford. Goodbye and good luck. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.